When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Lola Pops Off About Dramas with your host, Lola. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. And as you can see by the title, I am finally jumping into discussing and talking about Pachinko. Um, I didn't know what I was really going to do for this um, series. I didn't even know if I should call it a K-drama, you know, because I, you know, I, I think that that's how they're they're promoting it as a TV series um, because of the kind of the crossover production. And so I am going to be talking about the TV series, not necessarily K-drama, Pachinko. Um, I am only going to be doing the first three episodes right off the bat. I was going to originally just do episode by episode, but I... I don't know. I felt like it would be a little lacking if I had just stuck to going, you know, discussing one episode at a time. So I thought it'd be okay to do kind of like a combined first impressions as well as a chit recap chat um, episode of Pachinko's first three episodes, or they call them chapters. So first three chapters of the series. I didn't think I was going to be doing a chit recap chat. And if you don't remember or recall from last year, I did this with Vincenzo, where every week I kind of talked and I, I recapped what happened in the kind of episodes that aired and then I also kind of in the process of recapping just just chitted and chatted (laughs) that sounds weird but I you know I just talked um, and kind of gave some commentary about my thoughts in the midst of recapping so I thought I would do something similar um, to that with Pachinko Um, and mostly I think because there's a lot going on in this story as well as like not a lot as well so it's like it's a very simple story considering you know how complex it's shot and how beautiful it is Um, the fact that it's this wonderful based off this wonderful novel that everyone loves you know I thought the story was going to be a more kind of there was going to be a lot more going on than actually it is. I was like, it's actually very easy to understand the way that they are, um, the way that they have been presenting this story. And I think that's wonderful. I love how they've been presenting it actually. Um, so while I'm talking about the first three episodes, I'm going to be kind of recapping each one almost scene by scene to some degree, not all of it, but you know, I'm going to be kind of spoiling a lot of stuff. So if you don't want any spoilers for the first three episodes of Pachinko, then you don't want to listen to this episode yet. Um, because I will be going through kind of a lot of major points and like also very smaller points in all of the episodes of those first three episodes. Um, and then in the midst of just talking and recapping, I'll be kind of explaining, you know, some of the things, um, that I, you know, 
think about what's going on in the story, the characters, kind of like if I like something or don't like something and all of that good stuff. I also want to preference this episode with the fact that I am not, you know, this TV reviewer. So you're not going to get some kind of grand, um, you know, examination of the first three episodes. Uh, just it's not what I do. You know, if you listen to me and my, me talking about just K-dramas, you know, I'm not going that in depth. So I'm not going to be going to that degree. I also don't have a lot of um, historical knowledge about this time period in Korea. Um, and so I'm not going to be coming from historical um, standpoint as well. So I'm not going to be trying to like pull in anything to reference. So please don't expect that from me as well. I'm going purely off of what I've been watching in the, the show itself. So you'll be what I, what they presented is what I know basically. Um, and then I, um, like I said, I won't be making any kind of grand, like I said, commentary, like you, I'm not here for that. I really just wanted to talk, um, chit and chat, chit chat about, you know, Pachinko and these first three episodes. So let's go ahead and jump in. And again, like I said, these are, this is going to be recapping. So I'm going to kind of go almost scene by scene. Um, and I, and I wanted to do that again, not just because, you know, I thought it'd be nice to do, but also because I know some people may want to listen to this if they're not watching the drama. Um, and maybe this is their way of kind of watching it or enjoying it or hearing about it or knowing what's going on about it. Um, I know some people don't have access to Apple TV. So, you know, this is just another way of giving you another option, um, to kind of hear about Pachinko so you don't feel like you're out of the loop. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so let's go ahead and jump into the first episode. So the first episode opens with kind of like a large kind of, um, um, I guess opening caption or something like that, where it's basically just telling us where we're entering into the story. Um, and it's talking about in 1910, it says Japan colonized Korea as a part of its growing empire. And under Japanese rule, many Koreans lost their livelihood, forcing many to leave their homes for foreign lands. Despite this, the people endured. Families endured, including one family from one generation to another. So that's our introduction into this story. It goes into the Japanese occupied Korea in 1915, and we see a woman who is with child. Um, she is seeking help from an older kind of shaman woman, um, and she's asking her to help her deliver her child um, because she feels like she has a curse over her bloodline. She's like, I feel like I'm cursed. She says she, when she was young, she lost her mother and then she was married off to a man who couldn't get married because seemingly because of his looks, he was had a cleft, I think, lip or something like that. So he was kind of you know, deformed. I guess they were considering him Um, when because of this, you know, she still was married off to him and she felt like he was one of the kindest men that she knew. And she had already gave birth to three sons, all three who died um, before their first birthday. And so she's, you know, again, she's she's asking this woman to help kind of lift this curse, the shaman to lift this curse off of her because she wants to have a child for her husband who she really thinks deserves a, a child. So it was a lovely little opening there. Um, and then we flash forward. So this is the kind of context of this drama. It 
goes in and out of a past time and a present time interchangeably. So as soon as we're like, you have one scene that's taken place in 1915 and then the next scene's in New York City in 1989. So that's literally how this story um, goes. Um, you kind of have scene for scene switching between these different time periods. Um, so we jump into from that 1915 Korea to New York in 1989. And we are meeting a young man who is going into this corporate office meeting. um, And he's sitting across these two uh, men and he is basically wanting a promotion and they straight out like flat bluntly deny him this promotion and just say it's not his year as soon as that scene in scene ends we jump back to 19 you know 15 or I think that's the time yeah 1915 and we start to see the ritual begin for the for, you know for the woman so that she can break this curse off her blood um, and then after that scene we go directly back to New York so this is again this is something that I don't know if this is okay for everyone. I didn't have any issues with it as far as kind of like the back and forth, the back and forth. But I did feel like at times, um, I I don't know. I'll, I'll get probably more into this as we get down farther in the episodes. Okay, so let's keep going. So we go back to New York while that kind of in 1915, we see the course, um, the ritual began to break, you know, break the curse. Then we go back to New York and we see the young man. He's still in that room with these two men and he is discussing to them, just, you know, he's trying to convince them that he is the only one who can close this overseas deal in Japan um, because the landowner happens to be Korean and she owns all this land that their, you know, his, their company is trying to obtain. And he believes, you know, he can, he's the only one who can connect with her to actually convince her to sell this land and the men are kind of interested now and he's they're like oh do you think so and one of the men and these are two white men and um our you know one of our main characters and he's telling them like yeah i i think i can do this and the men's like well i thought you know he's like i thought you were japanese (laughs) and then he's and he's like i am korean but i you know grew up in Japan. Um, and so he, while he's discussing this to this, these two men, he tells them like, I am more than capable of, you know, succeeding and obtaining, you know, this de- closing this deal with this Korean woman in Japan. Um, however, you're going to need, uh, the only way that I'm going to really do this is if you can guarantee um, that I can get that promotion and I move up in the ranks and things like that. So he kind of like makes them a deal. He's like, I'm not doing this unless, unless you guys give me what I want. Um, and then while he's, you know, making that, making his request known, that moment is also kind of interwoven with the shaman's ritual. And then after the ritual ends, um, the shaman lets the woman know that she will have a daughter and that that daughter will survive. And so that's kind of wraps up the ritual scene in the past. And then the next thing we see is the young man who was in New York. You know, he's walking the streets of New York and he's smirking as he's walking away from that meeting because he knows he has a deal there. Um, and then the narration is the shaman confirming that through the woman's daughter, an entire family will survive. Boom. The opening of Pachinko. That is the opening of Pachinko and then the actual credits roll and the the kind of beginning credits. It's super cute. It's all the main actors like dancing and like, you know, having fun. Um, And then we start the the rest of the the episode. So the rest of the episode, um, we start with 
1915 again, or it's, I don't want to say 1915 because this is after the woman has is giving, she's starting, she's giving birth. So it's sometime in this kind of 1915 time period, so probably 1916, I don't know. Um, but she's giving birth. And she, after she gives birth to the baby, you know, every, you know, her, her husband, um, notes that this baby is going to be, um, Christian, um, Sanja. And they're like, we need a name that's going to basically showcase that she is a fighter. She's going to be one who fights and survives. Um, and actually I messed up. The credits actually roll after this scene. So not before that. Um, but she, you know, they, they're talking about the daughter and how she needs a name, you know, because she's going to be a fighter and she's going to be one that survives. And then, um, we have these beautiful shots after the baby is born of a kind of younger, uh, more, I'm sorry, older Sanja who is around probably no more like, you know, 10 years old, I would say. And she's with her father in the fields, and it's such a beautiful shot, so beautiful. Um, and you see her and her father, and then that opens Pachinko. I'm sorry, I made it seem like the opening happened sooner than that. Sorry, no. Then the opening of Pachinko begins. And then we are in Osaka in 1989 when we get back. Um, and our young man, we find out his name is Solomon. So Solomon is our kind of, you know, one of our main protagonist characters here. Um, and he is walking into kind of like a, I don't want to call it a casino, but it looks like a casino, but it's basically a place that um, looks like a casino, but it has nothing but these pachinko games in it. That's when you find out that that's what, that's what I found out what pachinko was. It's like a game in Japan. Um, and so that looks like these little arcade kind of, games um and he walks in there and he is meeting his father who we find out owns this little casino arcade type place um and that's also where you hear the someone you know call um solomon you know says he's a son of a panchinko man and i was like oh okay you know that's how they identify people I guess you know um, but then while they're in there there's like the news playing and there's an interview with a man that mentions his gr- grandfather um, and Solomon kind of turns to his father and he kind of inquires like who's that who's that man's you know grandfather and his you know father tells him re- kind of really awkwardly but like you know not to worry about that because that man has nothing to do with them and so you know Solomon's kind of looking at his father like I didn't ask <laughs> I didn't ask you that so but okay um, and then we jump back to the past. Um, and in the past, we're with a kind of, like I said, younger 10, 11 year old Sunja and her father at a fish market, at the fish market, which is very um, much the, the setting of this story a lot of times um, in the past. And so they're at the market um, and it shows, you know, that the Japanese police are kind of like manning or monitoring the market. And then whenever they walk past, you know, through the market, everyone has to stop and like bow their heads while the police, the Japanese police passed. Um, and we notice that Sunja is kind of like told by her father, like, you know, bow your head, bow your head. And she kind of barely does it, you know, she's like, whatever, you know, but she does it. Um, and then they move on with their, their business. Um, we also see that Sunjai is kind of like, you know, very involved in the kind of 
market experience. She's good at bargaining. Um, she helps, you know, we find out that her family, um, they run a a boarding house um, and that, you know, she's very active in helping with that. Um, and we also see her noticing some mistreatment of people at the market. And when they're on their way back home, they ride like a little ferry back home. You know, she inquires, you know, to her father, like, hey, you know, what was that that we saw back there? And he's like, you know, I, basically, like, I don't really want to talk about it with you because, you know, he made a vow to her that there's nothing that he won't do to kind of ward off all the ugliness in the world and try to keep, you know, keep it all away from her. And so like, that's his, you know, promise to her. And so she doesn't really know what's going on, obviously, with this kind of Japanese occupied Korea, but she is aware that there are, you know, people there that kind of, you know, are mistreating, um, her people. She is aware of that, even at that young age. Um, then from the past scene, we skip back to the future, uh, where we're back with, um, in Osaka, Japan, and we're with Solomon. And we notice that he is back home with his family and we meet the older Sunja. So we have our lovely Sunja. She is older and she's, you know, she lives with her son, um, and his, and her son's, I believe, girlfriend, wife, I don't know, kind of thing. Um, but that's how we notice, that's how we find out that Solomon is Sunja's grandson. Then we go back to the past and then we're with our young Sunja again. And she's getting scolded by her mother about taking money from a man, um, at, you know, fisherman that was at the market and how she, needs to stop worrying about, you know, learning all about all of that and just focus on learning how to feed herself. And that's all that women should focus on. And then, you know, soon just like, okay, okay, whatever to her mom. But she's like, okay, can I go diving? And so she goes, rushes off to go learn how to dive. Um, and then, you know, her mother and her father are left alone and her mother starts to kind of, you know, be annoyed with her father and tell her, you know, him like, you're spoiling her. Like she, that's not the best way for her to grow up. She has to kind of, you know, recognize like the, the real world and what's really going on. And her father immediately is like, I understand all that, but I also kind of want her to know that there's kindness in the world. You know, there, there is. And you just, he's just a sweetheart. He's such a sweetheart. Um, and then Sunja, we see her going to learn how to dive, you know, cause when, you know, um, they, I feel like they're in Busan. I think that's what they note where they're located is like Busan, um, and you know, modern day Busan or whatever like that. And so that's where they are. And so there's a lot of ocean, they're surrounded by water, and she's you know learning to dive to kind of like retrieve you know, um, bounty. <laughs> um, and while she's you know diving out there, her father comes to go you know comes to watch you know watch her. And then there's a moment there where she's underneath the water for a really long time and she's struggling to kind of you know secure um something that she's been trying to catch and then her father is of course getting worried at the shore because he's like oh my gosh she's not coming back up and then immediately Sunja you know pops her head back up above water and you know smiles and celebrates that she got what she needed and what she wanted and then you know her father is like oh, you know a deep sigh and that's a really cute moment because again I think it was trying to showcase how like resilient Sunja is like she's one to kind of like struggle and, and, and have difficulties but she will literally bounce back 
um, to the top of the surface. Like, no, she's not going to drown. So I thought that was a lovely little moment there that they showcased that. Um, and then we kind of go later into that night and they are, they're, you know, at the boarding house and the men at the boarding house and Sundra's father are kind of sitting around and they're eating and they're drinking. Um, but one of the boarders who's live, you know, staying there starts to talk about, um, how they're, you know, they're having everything taken away from them. And he wishes that he could just kill at least one of those Japanese cockroaches so that he could sleep better at night. And he's going on and on about this. And the men are looking really uncomfortable as he's talking like this. And Sunja's father, you know, after this has happened, he is met with his wife who, you know, confronts him. And he's like, why would you just let him keep talking like that? You know, like this is, that's not good that he was talking like that underneath their roof. And she even lets him know, like, he's putting us all in danger talking like that. And while, you know, Sunja's mother is talking to her father about that, Sunja is actually listening to her mother's worries during this. Um, and so the next morning, Sunja confronts the border herself because this is the same fisherman who she was helping out when she was in the market the day before, you know, she knows him, you know, he stays at the boarding house and she, you know, feels comfortable confronting him. And she tells him, you know, she's like, um, I need, I'm sorry, but we, we know what you were talking and what you were talking about last night and whatever that was, everyone's afraid now after you've talked like that. And she, you know, requests that he leave. She's like, I think you should leave. Like, I want you to leave. Um, and he kind of tells her like, you know, I was really drunk and that's just what happens when you feel like you have no power. Um, and, you know, he tells her like, just forget what I said. I'm sorry, you know, kind of apologizes. And Sunja kind of like, you know, takes that apology and and watches the man, you know, leave. But he doesn't say that he's going to leave, right? He, she just kind of, you know, says bye. You know, he kind of just goes. And then later on, and like a couple days later, cops come by, the Japanese kind of police come by the boarding house and they are questioning um, Sundra's mother and Sundra's coming home and she sees the police. And so instead of her, you know, running home, immediately she runs to find her father who's out working in the field somewhere. Um, and so she immediately grabs him and he, they come back and he speaks with the police um, and he kind of lets them know, like, you know, they're asking about the border who apparently has been saying these traitorous things. Um, and he's like, I don't, you know, we don't know where he is. He kind of just left. He actually owes us money, you know, for rent. And so I don't really know what you want me to tell you. And then they kind of like, you know, are annoyed with that. But they, they're they like, you need to report him next time. Like, you can't just let people talk and be traitorous. And we need to know those people. We need to know. You can't just let them just run free. And then Sundra's dad is just like, you know, whatever. But they give him a warning. And then they leave. And then after the police leave, her parents are kind of questioning, like, how did the border know to leave? And of course, we know um, because Sunja was the one who kind of told him, you need to leave. So luckily, Sunja kind of saved them in that sense. Um, but then we go back into the future to um, Osaka and Solomon and Sunja are in the kitchen. They're kind of talking about his father's businesses. And Sunja lets him know that, you know, he shouldn't really be looking down on his father's business plans with like such shame um because she can she can see it in him she's like I know that's what you're thinking and she's like because she's experienced it herself she has felt a lot of shame throughout her life so she definitely knows what that looks like um and then we see Solomon go into his old room and he's looking through his old things um and he finds like a little old box with some little knickknacks in it and um then Etsuko um Etsuko comes in and Etsuko we find out is like his 
I don't, I don't want to know. I don't know if she's married to his husband and like that's his stepmother, but obviously that's who's with his father now uh, because his mother has passed away. Um, Solomon's mother is is no longer um, alive. And Etsuko comes in and she, uh, you know, she talks about Hana. And, you know, Hana seems to be missing in action. Like they don't know where she is and they have people out looking for her and they're just trying to find her. And Hana is Etsuko's daughter. And Solomon once loved her, apparently. Um, and so Etsuko, you know, Etsuko and Solomon have like a really cute, you know, sweet bond and they seem to be, have a good relationship. And she even mentions, you know, you know, talks about his mother and how proud she would be of him at this point and things like that. So that's someone else that we meet. Um, and we learn about Hana, who is, I guess, you know, Solomon's first love. Then we go back to the past um, and we have Sunja and her father at the market again. Um, and there's a little bit like a little bit of commotion outside. And then we see that the police have found the missing border that was at the house, you know, at the boarding house. And he is now being tied up and drug, you know, drug away through the market. And while he's being drugged through the crowd, um, he spots Sunja. Um, and in that moment, you watch Sunja kind of like fight to kind of keep her mouth closed and she's like fighting back tears as she watches the border be, you know, drug along um, the market. Um, And then as she's doing that, the border notices too and he starts to sing really, really loudly. And then as he's starting to sing, they begin to beat him up. And of course, Sunja gets emotional and she's crying and her father tries his best to keep her from watching this scene. Then we go back to Tokyo. So we jump back to the future and now we're in Tokyo, not Osaka. And Solomon is in the elevator um, going into another office kind of setting. And in this moment, this mirrors the first opening scene when he was when we first met him and he was going to the office in New York and he was kind of in the elevator and he was surrounded by, a, you know, nothing but you know, white man, basically. And in this elevator scene in Tokyo, he is... surrounded by nothing but Japanese men Um, and so it's kind of like this little mirror scene where he's still kind of like the outsider the outcast in both of these kind of office office settings Uh, but he arrives at the office and this is where he's going to be working during his time in Japan and he meets this man named Mr. Andrews and Mr. Andrews immediately when he comes in he questions him he's like you know should I be worried about you like where your loyalties lie and Solomon says you don't need to worry about me I'm not here to stay I got one thing to do and then I'm leaving um, and then while he's telling his you know telling Mr. Andrews this um, a news announcement comes um, come, starts to kind of showcase on the screen and it is an announcement that the Japanese emperor um, has just died and he was 87 years old and that he ruled during the Japanese rule in Korea and sorry in Korea and how so much you know how the people in Japan are all you know mourning his death and then we go back to the past where we then see Sunja's father is dying um, and she is by his bedside with her mother and they're trying to take care of him as he like violently like is coughing up blood and it's a very very horrific scene of him being so ill you know so sick um, and then but right before he dies the last thing he says is Sunja's name um, and then there is a voiceover that plays through um, from Sunja's father and it 
says, he says, there was a time when I wondered why good fortune had decided to pass me by. Um, he also wonders why the everyday happiness enjoyed by others, you know, seemed so out of reach for me. And then you, oh, so sweet. He said, and then you, and then I realized fortune had nothing to do with it. I had to prove myself worthy of you, Sunja, and I had to grow strong to chase away the shadows of this world. And he said, soon you will be strong enough yourself and you will have your own children and then you too will have to prove yourself worthy. But Sunja, I know you can do it. I believe in you. And so that's a voiceover there that kind of is overlaid while, you know, Sunja is kind of, you know, after the passing of her father, walking into the ocean. And this is a young 10-year-old, you know, 11-year-old Sunja um, dealing with her father's death. And that's the voiceover that plays. And then we get a nine years later jump um, um, to um, us at the fish market again. And we meet there a man in a white suit. <laughs> it is the Eamon Ho. <laughs> he has made his appearance. Um, and we see him with like a companion, this guy that he's with. And we, you know, see he's like, you know, he's about his business. And then at the same moment, while Eamon Ho is with this man, you know, as they're kind of walking around the market, the fish market, um, we, we notice that his character sees Sunja in the market across the way and she's just minding her business and then as you know he's watching her he also watches as the Japanese police start to walk through the market as they have done in the past with young Sunja and her father and the police are walking through the market as they always have done and Sunja and everyone else they stop for them to pass and they you know they bow and stop for them to pass um, but Sunja does not bow her head at all she just stops and she like just waits until they walk past and then she keeps going. And of course, um, Eamon Ho's character notices this and he immediately, you know, turns to the, the, the guy that he's with and he, he, he inquires about her. And his little companion there mentions that, oh, you know, she's no one special. I think her mother like runs a boarding house somewhere. And, you know, he's just like, whatever. And so Eamon Ho's character, they continue to kind of watch her. You know, he kind of continues to watch her as she's carrying on her way through the market. Um, and then, you know, she's literally just like, you know, testing out the little, you know, things. And she's smelling, you know, a little clementine. You know, she's doing like the tangerine. You know, she's just minding her business. Uh, but he's staring at her from across the way. And she spots him staring at her and she looks up and she's like kind of like confused but they both kind of lock eyes and they have this very long staring contest moment and then the episode ends so that is episode one of Panchinko um, and right off the bat like I said it was a very beautiful beautiful drama to watch the cinematography is like none other obviously um, as far as traditional K-drama so uh, again this is not a K-drama <laughs> this is definitely um not a K-drama the way that it's shot the cinematography is on a, a level that is obviously not the same um not saying it's better or anything but it's very different and it's beautiful um and I loved it I did love that first episode I thought there was a lot of kind of moving moments there um I loved the introduction to Sunja um and kind of like how her story started with her mother you know 
trying to break a curse and so praying that she would live, you know, and just see another day. And then the kind of like the prophecy that, you know, over her character. So you kind of see that importance of this Sunja character. Um, and then kind of seeing her as a, you know, a young girl and then immediately as a young woman. So I like to see all, I like that I got to see all that in the first episode. Um, and again, her connection with her father is it was just so moving. It's so beautiful. And throughout the next couple of episodes, you'll see how how important that is, really. Um, you know, that kind of thing that her, her father spoke over her life as far as like, you know, what you have to, how you have to earn, you know, be to be worthy of the children that you have or something like that. So that comes back to play and that it seems to set up the rest of Sunja's story and like how she is, how she is, you know, even as a, an elderly woman in the future. Um, but the other thing I will note, and this is just something that is going to continue throughout the rest of the show, I'm assuming, is the kind of cuts between the past and the present, the past and the present, the past and the present. I mean, it is almost as as quickly as I'm saying, like as I'm doing the recap, like that's how it's also on screen. And I don't know if that always is the thing that I like. I feel like there are moments where I want them to stay in one moment a little bit longer and kind of ruminate and let that scene play out and a little bit more instead of chopping it up but they don't it like chops it up and I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of that I don't know if that mirrors the way that it is told in this actual novel it probably does but you know I think it does make a little bit more sense written in text uh, but on screen to me it is can be a little like okay can I just finish that scene I feel like I'm missing the scene I feel like that was a really quick scene you know and I don't know if I am a the biggest fan of that um but either way, so so far so good is what I I got and gathered from the first episode. Okay, so now let's go ahead into episode two. Episode episode two starts in the past, um, where we um, are on a boat and we're on the ferry that takes Sunja and most people from you know where they are, um, where the boarding house is to this fish market uh, that she goes to daily. Um, and while they're on this little ferry, everyone's kind of talking about this this Ko Han Su character, whoever this may be. Spoiler alert, it's Eamon Ho's character's name. His name is Ko Han Su. Um, and he is this fish broker who, you know, he, he's very strict about the way that he doesn't like selling certain type of fish. You know, he's really about, big about quality control. Um, and then, you know, they're kind of like spreading, you know, telling little stories about him and, you know, what people know about him. And Soon Ja's just kind of listening in on this conversation of these people. Um, and they're talking about how he has a lot of blood on his hands for doing some dirty work for a lot of wealthy people in Japan. Um, and they even kind of question like how, he, you know, where his loyalty lies, you know, with Korea versus Japan, because apparently he has lived in Japan for a very, very long time. And he's just now returning back to Korea in this new kind of fish broker position. So they're kind of like, why, you know, where's his loyalty lies are questioning him. Um, and soon just, just listening in on this. And then as soon as she gets off the, the little ferry, she notices this man who is, you know, being very harsh with one of the fishermen and kind of, you know, yelling at him and like yoking him up by the by the collar. And this is Hansu. And she's watching, you know, watching on as he's acting like this. And she's a little, you know, perturbed by it, but she kind of goes on 
about her way. Then we flash forward back to the present, 1989, but this, and we're in Tokyo. Um, and where, where we enter in Tokyo, we are with Solomon, who's at a wedding. Um, and it looks like he, you know, is saying, you know, hanging out with one of his old friends. And they're talking about, you know, how his old friend used to say some kind of really vile, vicious things about Koreans um, as a, you know, Japanese person. He's a Japanese person. He was, you know, and they're recalling some of the stuff he used to say as a child. And the guy's like brushing it off. He's like, I don't know if I said it. I don't know if I remember that correctly. And Solomon's like, no, that's exactly what you said. Like, I remember it was hurtful. You know, like he's obviously like this. That was some horrible things that you used to say about me and my people, you know. Um, But they're kind of like, you know catching up, I guess. And they're discussing why Solomon's there at the wedding. And he's there to make a contact with a wealthy man, you know, for work purposes and they're kind of mingling for that, um, for, you know, his office or whatever. And while he's there, he also meets a Japanese woman who um, has also spent a lot of time in America. So they have, you know, bond and kind of connect over their experience um, and, you know, going to universities there and things like that. Um, and then the wealthy man that they are there for, he comes to kind of introduce himself to them, to his, um, to Solomon and Solomon's kind of work team, which is this Japanese woman and Mr. Andrews. And while they're introducing themselves to this wealthy man, he he turns, the wealthy man turns to um, Solomon and kind of questions like what his blood type is. And, you know, he tells him, oh, and then the man kind of leaves after a weird look on his face. And Mr. Andrew is like, what was that about? Like, why did that happen? And Solomon kind of lets Mr. Andrews know that's because he was trying to fill me out. He's unsure about me and where my loyalties lie and that kind of thing. And Mr. Andrews is like, oh, is this that kind of, you know, Japanese Korean thing? When are people going to get over that, you know? And then, and he's, and then um, Solomon's like, yeah, I I don't know. But all I know is I'm only loyal to money, um, AKA my job back in America. Like that's all I care about. Um, And then next we are back home with, Sunja, older Sunja, and she's taking care of her bedridden sister-in-law, Kyungki, um, I'm sorry, Kyungki, um, and they are discussing Solomon and his work and what he's doing, what he's in, you know, Japan doing. And then we also see that um, Kyungki is refusing to eat. She doesn't want to take her medicine. She kind of just is like, I just want this all to be over. And she kind of is like, I don't, and then she starts talking about the past and how she wants to, and she's starting to remember all those things or people that she used to try to forget. And then Sunja's kind of just, Sunja's kind of just listening as um, Kyungki is kind of discussing this. And then we go back to the past. Oh, she even questions, I think, Sunja. And she, and she asks her, like, do you ever kind of like, wonder what your life would be like had you taken a different path and chosen a different route like do you ever think about that and then we jump back to the past um, and in the past we are with Hansu who is confront Sunja because Sunja is trying to trade with what the, with the fisherman earlier that um, she saw Hansu you know yelling at she's basically trying to you know she's help him out in a way and she's like you know because basically Hansu was like, we don't sell those type of things, get rid of them. And she's basically like, I will take some of those, you know, crappy fish, you know, in exchange for something, you know, if you don't want to sell them. And then he you know, sees her doing this and he immediately is like, how dare you do that? I told him I don't want him to sell this stuff. It's da da da. And she's like, I'm not asking him to sell it to me. I'm literally just telling him I will trade him, you know, this for that. He's not selling it. Um, and she's like, I don't see what's wrong with you kind of like, 
like not wasting these fish, you know, like they can still be used and things like that for people who need, you know. And so she's like making her, you know, her case. And he's a little taken, Hansu is kind of taken aback that she like stands up for what she was doing. And then he's like, whatever, and like tells her to leave. And so, you know, she does. And then, well, she is, um, you know, when she gets back home, it's, everyone's like, oh, were you at, you know, you were at the fish market? Like, did you, you know, do you, have you gotten a chance to see the, the new fish broker that everybody's talking about? Apparently he's so handsome. Like, what, did you get to see him? And she immediately is like, uh, you know, he's not that big of a thing. Like, whatever. It's like completely brushes him off. Right. Um, and then we jump back to the present and we then are finding out um, about the landowner who refuses to sell her land. So Han Gumja is the woman who, um, Solomon is in Japan to confront, basically. She's the woman that he needs to convince to sell her little plot of land. Um, and she's refusing. Um, so we find out about her. And then we also are still getting news about the mourning and, you know, the funeral of the emperor. And then we also get to know a little bit about Mr. Andrews and kind of like what led him to, you know, living and working in Japan and things like that. Um, and we also learn a little bit more about the game Pachinko um, and that, you know, about the game um, and how, you know, we, we hear Solomon's father discussing like what panchinko is and like how it's not about you know how it's all about fate there's no way to truly control winning that kind of game um and you know that's just the fact of the matter and he kind of like that reminds you of how your life is you know there's no way of really controlling anything and it's just it's all up to fate and then he also kind of says like his job you know there's just on to be there for the people for the patrons um you know as the person running the place because you know Honestly, you know, they're going to lose a lot of times and you're supposed to celebrate when they win and kind of help them when they when they lose. Um, And sometimes I feel like and then in there in this scene, I feel like not even just this scene, but a little bit more um, before that scene, like the scene with Mr. Andrews. There are moments where I feel like in the drama, this is a side note. This isn't in recap mode. This is just a, a caveat or a commentary. I feel like there are some moments in the drama so far that seem to be significant. Like I'm supposed to know like this is meaningful, but I can't tell. And so that moment feels like wasted or lost, but I could see that there's a reason there. Like, I'm like, this is supposed to be meaningful. And I felt like there are a lot of little moments like that. And again, I think this is kind of that issue with, you know, modes and mediums and kind of like going from a, a book to TV. Sometimes I feel like you can miss the mark if you don't properly show how it's significant, like on screen, but in like a story in the actual book, I'm pretty sure you could read that or it was explained. Um, and so you can get that moment, but I feel like I'm missing it just a little bit. Um, at least in this episode, I was like, I'm missing these little moments and I know they're significant, but I, I don't know. Of course, had I read the book, I feel like I probably would have picked up on them a little bit better. But this whole kind of pachinko scene that Solomon's father has where he's talking about it. I know there's some importance to the things that went on in that moment. And I was just like, ah, it's over my head. It's over my head. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, but yes, yeah, so and then we go back into the past. And now in the past, we're back with Sunja, who is at the market as she usually is. Um, and at the market, she um, is kind of approached by one of the merchants who lets her know that she has something for her 
from Hansu. And then, of course, Soonja is like, uh, uh, absolutely not. You do not have anything from me from that man. I don't think so. Um, and so after she kind of, you know, lets this woman know that she, you know, just tells her kind of like, keep your mouth quiet, keep your, you know, keep your mouth quiet, keep your mouth shut. He didn't, ha- I don't, I don't have any kind of relationship with him. Um, and then she ends up, you know, leaving. And as she's leaving, the, you know, trying to kind of going out a back way from the market, she is suddenly um, attacked by these kind of young Japanese teenage boys. Um, and they are literally dragging her into this kind of hidden room and trying to sexually assault her. Um, but of course, Hansu comes to the rescue. He even makes these kind of young teenage boys, um, you know, get on their knees and like, you know, apologize to her before, you know, threatening their lives and telling them how he would, you know, kill them if they did anything else to her ever again. Of course, it's all in Japanese. And so Sunja doesn't really know what he's saying to them at this point, but she just knows that he's, you know, he has some harsh words for them. And so I liked that kind of aspect of the story too, um, because it's like, you know, she could tell he was saying something on her behalf after rescuing her. Um, and then after that, Sunja is on the ferry as she is usually to go home and Hansu is there as well. And she kind of asks him, you know, then, you know, what he said to the teenagers. And he explains to her like he, you know, threatened their lives. And like, if they ever touch her again, he will kill them. And, you know, he then he starts to talk about, the, you know, being back in Korea and how beautiful this country is and how he's forgotten that, you know, and then she kind of, you know, inquires a little bit more about his life. And we find out that he has been gone from Korea for about 14 years. Um, and so they, you know, kind of have this little moment of just, you know, connecting and communicating about, you know, where he's been and how's his life been and stuff like that. And then as, you know, the the kind of fairy docks and she's getting ready to leave, you know, he, you know, they are kind of joking with each other and he calls her a little weird. Um, and then she's like, you know, she actually is like, well, you're the weird one. You know, you're the one threatening to kill people, you know, and they thought they have a little cute moment where they're like, you know, find each other weird. Um, but as they're both leaving, they kind of both have eyes on each other again, like when they first saw each other. Um, and she goes on home and he stays on the ferry. So now we go back to the present. Um, and in the present, we are back with Solomon and Solomon's visiting Gumja. And remember, Gumja is the woman who refuses to sell her land <laughs> that he is trying to very, you know, trying to convince to sell. Um, and he visits her. And as soon as he gets there, She's like, nope, 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 nope. I don't want anything to do with this. He kind of learns a, a little bit more about kind of the fact that she, you know, doesn't, her her husband's passed away and that her kids, you know, they've been long gone and they don't even speak Korean and, you know, because her husband never allowed them to learn and, and things like that. And so he's like, well, you need to think about your kids and all the money we're offering because he's offering her like a billion yen to, to sell this land to his company. And she's like rejects rejects that amount and she you know he's like well you need to think of your kids um and sell you know and that makes her even more angry and she's like you need to leave and she like storms off um and so that's the present and then we go back to the past um and in the past we're back with Sunja and Hansu and they are by like a little stream in the woods and she's washing um his shirt or something like that and she's doing laundry and while he's reading the paper just sitting on a rock randomly reading and um she then, you know, he then turns to her and kind of inquires if she knows how to read and write. And she's like, yeah, nope, 
I don't. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to kind of, you know, suggest like, you know, he kind of like, yeah, he says something to me was a little, you know, offensive. He offends her. He, she's, he's all like, well, you know, if you could read or write, you could escape this place. You could do all kinds of things and you could, you know, dream, you know, much, you know, for much bigger things. And, you know, she's like, well, I don't want to leave my birthplace. Like, why should I have to leave my birthplace? And then he takes it upon himself in this moment to kind of like draw her this little diagram and on the rocks with a little, you know, and he's trying to explain to her that where he lives in Japan, um, how there are all these kind of wonders of a modern world there. And um, she's listening to him, you know, with fascination and some interest. Um, and she's kind of looking at his little drawing where he's, he's showing Japan and Korea and he's going over to Europe and he's showing kind of where the, you know, America is. And he's explaining all this to her about kind of big grand world. Um, and then as she's looking at his little, little, pictures he's been drawing she goes back to japan and where he labeled japan and korea and she's like noticing how you know she's like i always thought you know that japan was so much bigger than korea i like and like it was this big wide mouth that was trying to eat them all up um and he asked her you know what you know what what does that mean to you then if that's not the case and she just tells him that you know that they're you know that it's not just fate that, you know, they can actually do something and beat Japan. Um, and he is looking at her in awe as she's explaining this. And he immediately lets her know that he wants to continue to come around and hang out with her uh, when she's doing laundry. <laughs> um, and, you know, he, he, he asks her like, can I, and she kind of like just nods her, you know, her permission. And I mean, that sets it off from here on out. Okay, let's just say that. But let's go back to the present. Um, so we go back to the present and we're with Sunja, older Sunja. And she's taking care of Kwanki. And Kwanki, again, is her... Um, her sister-in-law who's ill and in bed um, and she's kind of like you know just doing her daily routine which is you know cooking her food and breakfast and bringing it to her they're like watching TV so they have their like their little routine um, and then we go back to the past with Sunja doing laundry again with Hansu and he's you know talking to her um, they're having their little kind of I guess weekly conversations they have by the by the stream um, and he's explained to her that there's no you know there's no loyalty in this world and that she should and have be loyal to anything or anyone um, and so she then kind of asked you know him why he's back in Korea if he's you know lives in Japan like why are you here and he kind of explains that he now that he's successful he always wanted to return back to Korea kind of to like just show prove something uh, because he let when he left he was really poor and he was young um, and with his father and she's kind of you know inquires about his father and he kind of just brushes that off he's like oh his father is long gone and forgotten but he, he says this after he goes into the story about you know how he got in trouble with his father because they only had one pair of clothes and um and one outfit and he ended up you know trying to dry the clothes ends up lighting them on fire and his father was really angry and then that's when she inquires about her fa his father and he's like and he immediately like brushes it off like he's long and forgotten um and then Sunja next is at home sitting around and this is you know this is Sunja in the in the past and she's usually when she's at home she's 
put going to work. She's always working. She's always busy. She's always helping her mother um, and the other girls that live with them who help around the, like the hired help there. You know, she's always working. Um, but this time we get to her um, and this is kind of like after her conversations with um Hansu, but she's like sitting around at home and it's raining and she's kind of lost in her own head, kind of looking at the staring out at the rain and so much so that, you know, her mother has to call for her help. And he's, she's like, you know, notes like kind of out of it. Like we're what's going on? Like we're, you know, what are you doing? And then Sundra, of course, you know, joins them and continues, you know, joins them and helps them. But it is um, a moment there that we kind of are supposed to see how she's you know slowly but surely I think she's thinking of things in a different way or she's being introduced to some new or different ideas um, obviously because of Hansu and so she's kind of in the in the mode of that or in the mood of that in this um, in this scene and now we go back to the present <laughs> and in the present we're with Solomon's father and Etsuko um, and Etsuko and Solomon's father are getting a report from one of the, you know, from the private investigator that they have who's been looking and trying to kind of spot um, Etsuko's daughter. And uh, it appears that she's uh, working at a place, I'm putting air quotes around place, where she has lots of air quotes again, clients. Can't tell you, I couldn't tell you what that meant, but that's what they find out um, from the private investigator. Um, and then that same night, Hana, who is the daughter that they're look- Etsuko is looking for, um, Hana contacts Solomon at work. She calls him and he immediately kind of like gets on the phone and he's super excited because again, they haven't heard from her in forever. And he's like, you know, he tells her how much he misses her and she kind of is like brushing him off and was like, well, you know, teasing him about stuff and, and, and teasing him with that information that she refuses to let him know where she is and where she you know and she won't come see him and he's like can you just please like let me know where you are and she tells him that she's in that darkness is what she says so I don't I guess like in this dark place I don't know if it's mentally or literally where she is you know um and he's like well you know let me know where you are you know I just want to see you I want to meet you I'll meet up with you and she's like you know just know and like it's it's not good you, there's no purpose for you to do that and she's like it's actually really good you know she and then she's like I you know it's good that you left when you did and he starts to kind of tell her like I'm sorry I never wanted to leave you you know he kind of goes on that but she's trying to make him feel guilty but also while she, you know she's basically making him feel guilty about leaving and he's kind of telling her I never wanted to leave and they're having this kind of intense conversation in his office um, and while this conversation between those two are happening this is also being interspaced, interspersed or kind of overlaid um, with the past of Sunja and Hansu meeting up as usual in the woods um, and this particular day in the woods they you know it's it's just finished raining and so he says oh this is a great time to kind of go further out into the woods and look for mushrooms and so they go looking for mushrooms in the woods and then while um, you know again Hana and Solomon are on the phone and he's kind of explaining you know going over and over with like I missed you I do really miss you I never wanted to leave you and you know I still care about you and she's all like you know no you don't it's good you left 
I'm not the kind of person you, you know, that you think I am anymore. You know, she's going through that whole thing and this conversation's happening while we're also getting to see Sunja and Hansu in the woods looking for mushrooms. Um, and then there's a kind of very slow, quiet moment where, um, in the past, Hansu and Sunja are kind of like, you know, he's like laying out his jacket on the ground and Sunja kind of like stops in her tracks and she's like staring at him from a little bit of, from, from a little bit of a distance. And then he stops what he's doing and he's staring at her from a little bit of a distance. And then all of a sudden we see them, um, sleeping together in the woods. Um, and I think this had to be the juxtaposition between these kind of first loves. Um, obviously, Etsuko's daughter, Hana, and Solomon had some kind of, you know, first love kind of relationship before he moved to America. And then Sunja and Hansu, Hansu this is Sunja's first love. So obviously, I thought that was what that juxtaposition was supposed to be. Um, and then episode two, Ends. So we get to the start of, you know, Sunja and Hansu. Um, and this episode to me, um, I love, I think I really, really love Sunja as a character. I think she is, um, I think she's fascinating because I feel like you think you know something about her until you re- she reveals something a little different to you, you know, because I feel like there was definitely a connection that she kind of was drawn to Hansu and even how she rejected, you know, his little gift in the very beginning with from the merchant kind of like trying to distance herself from him. Like, I felt like that made sense for Sunja's character. And then, you know, for her to then continue to kind of hang out with him, you know, and being fascinated by the stories that he brought to her, you know, from his ways and tales of, you know, Japan and above, you know, afar, like I that all made sense to me as well. But then, you know, her just in this moment, like at the end where she's like staring at him from across the way with her little mushrooms in her arm. And and then next, you know, she's like laid out on the, on the ground in the woods, in the floor of the woods. I was like, oh, Sunja, that's where we are, girl. OK, so that was like, OK, maybe I don't know Sunja just yet because I wasn't expecting her to kind of that to be kind of the next step for her, you know, in the course of like picking mushrooms in the woods. I'm just going to say that's going to be a little bit more build up for that but no Sunja she she made her decision pretty early on (laughs) about Hansu um so that was the end of episode two okay so now let's go into episode three um so episode three actually opens a little bit differently it opens up with like a past Sunja you know right against the kind of present Sunja moment of her preparing kimchi um, and serving food and this kind of cross cutting um, in of the in the drama. I'm sorry, in the show where these moments um, of past Sunja, you know, she's kind of struggling and like trudging through her daily tasks that she always would do so, you know, you know, seamlessly. But in this moment in the past, Sunja is kind of struggling through these tasks of cooking and and preparing food while you know this present day Sunja is kind of showing her preparing her 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 meal for her sister-in-law Kwanki um and then Sunja is going into you know present day Sunja is going into serve Kwanki her breakfast you know wake her up in the morning and she's opening the blinds and then at that moment she realizes that Kwanki is not waking up she falls to her knees you know um in upset obviously because we know now that Kwanki has passed away and then we go into the past again, and past Sunja is on her knees in pain. So they're both, both scenes are juxtaposed against each other, where the past 
um, Sunja is in her on her knees in pain, you know, holding her stomach. Well, Sunja and the president is on her knees because she just found out that her sister-in-law, Kwang Ki, has passed away um, in her sleep. And so we also hear Sunja in the past as she's kind of clutching her stomach and having the realizing that she had p- missed her period. And she kind of makes the immediate connection. You can see it on her face that she is pregnant. So this is the opening of episode three. So again, I think that was a very quick, very quick transition from her having that moment in the woods at the end of episode two with Hansu to immediately opening episode three, she's pregnant. So I didn't know, you know, again, if that's how it is kind of told in the, in the book, but to me, I, you know, it makes sense in the book, but I kind of wanted to see a little bit more, you know, leading up to kind of like where, you know, how that may have happened, but they do show a little bit more, but let me get to that. Okay, so then we go back to the present where we're attending Kwanki's funeral and we have a pastor. And after we, you know, attend her funeral, they take her urn with her ashes in it back home. And then they're kind of, and soon just kind of figure out like where she wants to place this urn. She's like, I don't know where to put it. And she's like going all over the house. And she's like, I want to put it in a special place. And she just like, it, it doesn't fit anywhere. It's frustrating her. And then Solomon comes in and he's like, you know, why won't you just put it over here on the piano with the, the pictures, you know, the rest of the family and then she's like no no I'm not going to put it there I'm going to put it over here and so she puts it away um, and then a pastor named Pastor Rie I think Rie he visits and he's like a young pastor and Sunja is like hanging on every his every word everything he says he prays over the urn he and then she's he's like well can I take the urn and move it and put it somewhere in the house that I think would be a good place and then Sundra immediately is like oh of course you should and he takes the urn and then puts it right where Solomon had previously recommended it go and then she's like oh yeah that's perfect I think that goes there perfect <laughs> this is Sunja now this is older Sunja um and then Solomon is like looking at her like in confusion of like what like I just said that but also he's also kind of confused by the way Sunja is like following on every word of this kind of pastor like how she like just kind of follows around him and like whatever he wants she's like okay that's perfect um and he's like you could tell a little annoyed with that then we go back to the past. And then this is where we see in the past Sunja's and Hansu's kind of start of their love affair after that moment in the woods. Uh, we get to see the moments of like these secret, you know, these are kind of like quick flashes of, you know, moments of secret touches and, you know, their little hidden kisses. And we see Sunja crying at times and all the passion and her saying goodbye to him at moments. And so it's like you get to see their quick love affair because that's what it they really portrayed it as as like this kind of like fling that happens in the heat of you know you know heat of the moment kind of thing um and then we also see that while Sunja has noticed that she is pregnant and she's having these you know pregnancy symptoms and you know things um that Hansu has been away for quite some quite some while back in Japan um and you know she's kind of hearing from everybody like I don't know when he's coming back you know he might not ever come back you know and she's like stressed about that because she's pregnant with his child and she's like oh my goodness but then in that very moment across the way at the market 
he sees Hansu um, and she's so happy to see him and he sees her from across the way and he's excited to see her and then their kind of love affair starts again like it had never stopped um, you know while he was away he even kind of and they go back to their little meeting in the woods where they always are and he gives her a watch that he you know brings back from Japan um, and she's you know super grateful for that and then she kind of immediately jumps into the, the you know the elephant in the room um, she tells him like I'm pregnant and at first he's like are you sure you're pregnant and she's like yes I'm sure and he then appears really happy you know he hugs her and you know he's really happy for her he's excited you know he's like this is gonna be great I I know you're gonna have a, a son for me like this is gonna be lovely and she's like well I don't want you to be disappointed if it's a girl and he was like I if it's a girl it doesn't matter I'm her regardless you know he's just having a good little they're having a good little moment and so she's so happy and she's like kind of immediately kind of was like okay so when are you going to meet my mom when are, how are we going to get the you know when house of marriage like how's the, the how are we going to get married you know like she starts to inquire about like getting married with you know to him and him meeting her mother and he's like his face kind of just completely changes and he steps away from her like um excuse me I thought you knew what this was literally I think that's what he says to her I think he actually says to her in that moment I thought you knew what this was (laughs) and I was like the nerve how dare you I'm so sorry I'm getting loud but I was so frustrated when he had the audacity to be all happy and excited that she was pregnant only to then you know in the moment she's like okay when are we gonna marry when you're gonna meet my mother he's all like I thought you knew what this was. <sighs> Sunja, of course, is like taken aback. This is not at all what she's expecting. And he's like, you know, that can't happen. We can't get married. That's not going to happen because I'm already married. I already have a family. Oh my gosh. I was like, what? He literally says, I'm already married. I have a family. I have three daughters not one child not two children three daughters what he says you know it's a marriage of business but you know i have a family i'm married and and it's back you know i have a family back in japan and he's like you know looks to sunja he's like you know don't worry i'll take care of you and you know our child i'll even take care of your mother like i'll build a nice house for for every for us and so when i come back into korea we'll have a good time and uh, and be a wonderful happy family in korea so like he's literally trying to convince her that he you know was like i'm going to take care of you and we're going to have a wonderful life together part time you know when i'm not in japan with my other family <laughs> And she's just looking at him like, I cannot believe I'm hearing this right now. As I was, I was like, the audacity. You got three daughters and a whole wife back in Japan. And now you're trying to set up camp with a, a Korean like family. No. Uh-uh. 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 And so he is like, you know, looking at her like, why, why is that an issue? And she's just like, no. And he's like, was your plan all along to kind of like, to seduce me and to marry me and like and you know force me to marry you because no one else will and I was like because no one else will and he claims like no one else will because like you know her father was obviously he was you know people considered him with his cleft lip being you know deformed or guys um and like that was unwanted and things like that so he's like i you know who would want to be with you so and have kids that could also you know you know basically have a cleft lip you know like just 
just goes like bad mouths her father who we know Sunja loved loves dearly and like he is at her like he was her everything so the fact that he does that she immediately it's like I'm done she runs away from him through the through the through the woods it's like raining during this moment so it's like really intense and you know and there's she's running through the rain and while she's running back home through the rain at this very same time on the harbor you know but you know back at the the fish market on where the ports are at that same time a boat is arriving with a um, handsome young man who appears to be really ill and sick, sickly. And he's kind of coming off the boat and he's like being held up by the men because he's struggling to stand up. And he's asking where the boarding house is. And he immediately is like, I need to find the boarding house, you know? And he even, I think, kind of names soon just like the one you know owned by the man you know and so he's like looking for that boarding house um and then this is at the same time Sunja is returning home so she gets home in the rain and she's like hiding her little gift that you know Hansu had got her and she cries out for her mother um standing outside in the rain and her mother you know looks over to her but while she's looking over to Sunja there's the same kind of handsome sickly man coming up along the way and as he comes up to both of them he just falls out completely passes out in front of them and they rush to you know to you know, to to take care of him now we go back to the present and in the present Sunja and, and Solomon are you know kind of like in um, Kwanki's old room and they're kind of like clearing it out um, and they start to discuss Solomon's you know having issues with closing that deal with Gumja and you know Sunja says she wishes she could comprehend how someone can hold on to the past like that because she possibly like she can't do that and so as she's talking about that Solomon's kind of just look, looking at her and then he it kind of clicks for him he's like I need you to go to go with me to go see Gumja like I think you should talk to her and then you know Sunja's like about what she's like he's like what you just said like all that you were just explaining about like how the house is nothing but you know you know walls and a floor and a and a, and a ceiling like that's the kind of stuff I, I think she needs to hear you know and so that's his next plan of attack for Gumja he's gonna take Sunja alone with him now we go back to the past in the past we are again with the um at the boarding house and the handsome man who is laying unconscious um in a in the, the boarding house um the doctor who comes in as well as Sunja's mother they're trying to kind of find out his identity by looking through some of his stuff that he's brought along with him and then they find out that his name is Isaac um, and that he's Christian and he's from North Korea and that he um, has tuberculosis and then we and then also the doctor tells Sunja's mother in this moment that you need to make sure you send this man away he's a you know he's a risk to everyone here you know with with what he has and he's like you need to send him away and Sunja's mother immediately is like I don't feel comfortable doing that I want him to at least break his fever I want to see him wake up you know like I don't want to send him away you know so she's basically nursing this um unconscious very handsome man um <laughs> very handsome man um you know, throughout the night. Then we go back to the present where Solomon and Sunja visit Gumja. They all kind of, you know, 
Gumdra immediately is like, you brought your, your grandmother along. Wonderful. Uh, but they end up, you know, she offers them a meal. So they're all at the table at Gumja's home and they're sharing a meal. And Gumja, of course, and Sunja, of course, they end up connecting over their similarities of kind of being Korean women who um, have lived in Japan for such a long time. Um, and they even, um, in, in that moment while they're eating, Sunja is eating the rice and she can tell from that, you know, from the rice that that is a different type of rice. She's like, this is a rice that is grown um, in Korea. And they're, and Sunja is so excited about that. And of course, Solomon's looking like, uh, he can't tell the difference at all. Um, and actually doesn't really care to tell the difference. And Sunja, you know, goes on to describe the differences between, the, you know, rice that is grown in their motherland. Um, and she even says, like, even the rice, you know, evokes memories of her mother and even her wedding day. Um, and then she starts to cry at the table. And Gumja, you know, tells Solomon that she needs this moment, you know. And she's like, you know, this is a serious, this is a real moment that she's having right here. Um, and then we go back to the past. And in the past, we see Sunja crying um, in her bed. And this is at the in that same evening while her mother is taking care of the sick Isaac in the other room. Um, so again, they kind of do that kind of juxtaposition of the older Sunja and the younger Sunja, once crying at the table in the present, and then the past Sunja is crying in her bed. Um, we go back to the present and Gumja, she is explaining, you know, how, um, what it is, what it has been like to return to Korea um, these days and, you know, recent years to Sunja because Sunja has never returned to Korea after she left years ago. Um, and Sunja is kind of listening on to Gumja as she's like, you know, just explaining how different Korea is and the things that she experiences there and how wonderful it is to be back sometimes. Um, and she, and then in that same moment, Sunja is like, you know what? Um, I'm super heartbroken because I regret that my sister-in-law who just passed away, who moved over with us, you know, she never got a chance to return, you know, back to Korea. Um, and she's like really heartbroken about that. And she's like, you know, explaining how she knows that would have made her so happy and brought her so much joy if she could have gone back to Korea before she passed. Um, and then Gumja lets Solomon know um, that, you know, she's not falling for the fact that she brought, he brought his, you know, grandmother Sunja to, um, to visit, to kind of convince her. And he's still kind of upset. You know, he's like, I don't understand. Like, why are you holding on to this house? Like, just, I, we're offering all this money. Like, it's not like I'm stealing this house from you, this land from you. Like, can you just like sell it? Um, and she's like, you know, rolling her eyes at him. And she's like, you know, and he's, and he tells her like times have changed. Um, and you know, whatever you're holding this on, like holding on to this for, he like, you know, they're now they are accountable to us now. Um, and she asks him, she's like, do you really believe that? And he says, yes. Um, and I guess he's referring to the fact that, you know, maybe she's trying to make a stake or a claim as someone who, a Korean in Japan. And the fact that, you know, I guess he's like, I don't want to just give that over like this home that I've made here, you know, just because I had to kind of thing. Um but he's like, they're accountable to us now. They, there's a way to hold them accountable. And he's and she's like, are you sure about that? Um, then we go back into the past. Um, and Isaac is, I'm calling him Isaac, like, oh, sorry, Isaac. Is that right, Isaac? Um, I want to say, I'm, I'm, I'm pronouncing it right, but Isaac, um, he 
his fever has broken and Sunja um, approaches her mother in the morning. Um, and when she approaches her mother in the morning after Isaac's, you know, fever has broken, she tells her mother immediately, I'm pregnant. Sunja's mother is wondering who did it. She's like, please let me know who did it. Sunja won't give Hansu's name at all. And her mother is like, You're, you, I can't believe you were this stupid. You know, like this is something that you should have never allowed to happen. Um, but in that same moment, they're both crying together. And while they're crying in this room, Izak is awake in his, you know, in his little sick bed. And he's listening from the other room, um, this, uh, you know, listening into this conversation. Now back to the past. I'm sorry, next back to the present. Um, and in the present, we are with Sunja and Solomon um, after they've just left, you know, Gumja and they're at the train station um, getting ready to part ways. And she, you know, you know, she's talking to, you know, Solomon about Gumja and Sunja says that she can tell that woman, you know, Gumja wants to die in that house. And Solomon is annoyed by this. And he, you know, says he just can't believe, you know, she wouldn't want to give up this home for all that money because she could give all that money to her kids. And Sunja kind of is like, well, you know, how long do parents have to sacrifice for their kids? Like, when can they stop sacrificing for their kids? And he, you know, asked her, he like, what do you want me to do? Like, what do you think I can do or should do? And she says, you know, that if there's any way, you know, she's like, she inquires, like, is there any way you can get to the top of your job um, without bothering Gumja? <laughs> and he's like, no, I cannot. Um, and that he, and he's, he tells her like, I'm not like your pastor Rie, you know, pastor Rie, I don't know, P Rie, Rie, um, Ray, Rie. Um, and he says, he mentions this pastor again. Um, and she tells him that he's, she's only like that with past, with the pastor or pastor Rie, Rie or whatever, um, because he reminds her of someone and we can tell already that that may be Isaac um, from the past because he's that, you know, he's a Christian from North Korea. Um, um, so let's go back to the past. So Sunja and her mother are, this is later that night and Sunja and her mother are kind of at dinner with, you know, their kind of hired, um, the girls that they work with them and they're eating um, dinner awkwardly, you know, kind of like you can tell they're a little, you know, upset with one another, but her mother, Sunja's mother is, you know, still, you know, giving her her food and telling her to eat up, you know, and things like that. And then we get right back to the present um, and where we have Mr. Andrews who like they're, you know, they're in the office again. Um, Solomon has just gotten back from his trip with, you know, with his mother to Gumja's house. Um, and when he into, enters into the office, Mr. Andrews immediately, you know, confronts him and announces that, you know, Gumja just called and says that she will sell her house. So of course they're like, okay, it's time to celebrate. Let's celebrate. And he's like, let's crack open the bottles, you know? And then in that moment, Solomon's going into his little office and Hannah calls him. And immediately when he, you know, picks up the phone, he's like, when can I see you? Like, when can I see you? And she's just still like, you can't, you know, she's still, you know, 
acting how she was acting in the before when she called him and he's you know gets mad at her he means like calls her pathetic and says she's still playing games after all this time um and then all of a sudden she starts to cough uncontrollably on the phone and he is like are you sick he's like you know asking for her like are you sick what's wrong what's wrong with you are you sick and then while he's you know on the phone with Hana and he's inquiring about her being sick we go back to the past and Isaac is up and about he's outside you know and he's thanking Sundra's mother for helping him and taking care of him and he tells her you know I need to go into town to let my family know that I'm okay um, and that I made it you know that you know things like that and she's like oh yeah yes but you're not doing well you need someone to go in town for you like let me send someone for you and he's like no I want to do it I want to you know get out and walking and then she's like well I don't trust you going out on your own and she she has Sunja to go with him into the town as in the market the fish market our lovely fish market um and so they're going you know so Sunja ends up going with him and then at the market of course Sunja runs into Hansu while she's with Isaac Hansu spots her across the way sees her with him and he kind of you can tell is like upset uh, but they don't approach each other they don't say anything to each other and she kind of like hurries Isaac alone um because they're going to get lunch before they, you know, finish his business and go back home. So then we go back to the present um, and Solomon, um, he is on the phone with Hannah. And then all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Andrews is yelling across the way, like, you know, he sees he still hasn't come out to celebrate. So he goes into the office and he hangs up on Hannah. Um, And so Solomon doesn't get an answer from her um, as if, you know, if she's okay or not. Um, and then he pulls him into the crowd at the office so that they can start celebrating his, you know, success. And then we see Sunja and Sunja next is shows up at her son's pachinko kind of like arcade casino thing. Um, and she rushes up to him and she's like kind of breathing heavily. Like she's been rushing to get to him and she has like, you know, she has this, this idea and she tells him she wants to return to Korea. She's like, I want to go back to Korea and I want to take Kyungki back. She wants to take her sister a lot's ashes back to, to Korea. And then we go back into the past. In the past, we're at a little restaurant with Izak and Sunja. Um, and Sunja's like, I've never ate, you know, at a restaurant like, you know, this before. And he's, you know, obviously treating her. Um, and it's like a Japanese restaurant, you know, this is Japanese owned um, because the waiter's in Japanese and he orders their, you know, food in Japanese. And then um, Sunja asks him, you know, she's like, you know, how did you learn Japanese? He tells her he had a private tutor when he was younger and how him and his tutor became good friends. And then she mentions all the books um, that he has with him back at the boarding house and, you know, kind of says like, oh, I bet you're so smart and but you know everything. And he's like, actually, I'm not I don't feel like I'm smart at all. A lot of times I feel like I'm actually quite silly, like I don't know a lot. Um, and she kind of you can tell is connecting with that because she felt a little silly and stupid with the situation with Hansu you know um but you could see like that and when he says that he kind of she kind of also connects with that um and then he you know while they're waiting for their food um to come no, the food actually comes I'm sorry when their food comes he offers to pray with her um again he's you know 
Christian. Um, and she, you know, she says, yes, you know, that's no problem. And so she like, you know, she, she closes her eyes, you know, and she has her hands in front of her and, you know, he prays over, you know, the food or whatever. And then as soon as they're done, he's done praying, she's like, it's still like with her eyes closed and her hands clasped in front of her. And it's like super cute. And he's like, you can, you can stop now. I'm done. I'm done praying. And she's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, they start eating. And then he, you know, as he's watching her eat, he kind of just lets her know just abruptly, like, hey, just thought I would let you know, I know that you're pregnant and that I won't judge you. You know, he just kind of says it outright. But then he offers like, you know, hey, I, you know, as you, it seems like because of this, your situation that you're going to be in, that you may need a, a friend. And I, you know, I'll he offers himself up as a support, you know, system for her. And, um, he even starts to suggest, you know, some things like maybe you should consider, you know, giving up your child to a childless couple who needs, you know, who wants a child and, and Sunja bristles like immediately at that. Um, she outright out, she just rejects that suggestion. And she says, you know what? I know my fate. Um, I know what will become of me and my child. She said we will be, you know, outcast. And she's like, that's okay because I'm used to that. I, she's like, I know I'm used to being an outcast. She's like, I was loved by an outcast. Um, and this is when she talks about her father. She talks how, you know, her, you know, how her father was an outcast and how now that she's gotten pregnant, she keeps thinking about him because, you know, he, when he was, you know, younger, he was told that he would never get married and never have a family. Um, and yet here she is. She's like, I am the result of him getting married and having a family, you know, and having a child. And she kind of wants to do the same. She wants to bring her child into this world, despite people believing or feeling that she shouldn't and that it shouldn't be a thing that happens. She feel like her child would be like she was like something that wasn't supposed to happen, but will happen. And so she says that she wants to do that with her child. And she wants to also give the same promise to her child that her father gave to her, which was that he was going to care for her no matter what. Um, and keep her safe and from the evils of this world um, with all his might. And so she wants to do the same for her child. Um, and so Isaac, of course, listening to her, immediately kind of apologizes. And, you know, he, he says that he has a hard time really understanding people. He says he doesn't really know people. He admits like, I only read books. I only know people from books, you know? And so I guess I have a hard time, you know, really connecting and understanding people. Like, I don't know how people think and I guess like the subtleties of the human nature in a way. And I got to admit, let me just stop here. I love that. I love, I was like, Isaac has my heart already. Like he's sickly. He's, you know, he's, you know, he's so spiritual. You know, he's spiritual so he's like really has a really kind heart you can tell and he kind of is like admitting he's like I'm just like a bookworm who doesn't know people I don't he's like I've been sick all my life so I don't really interact with other humans you know like I sorry like I didn't understand that um, complexity or whatever and then he says he's thankful you know grateful to her for kind of giving him that you know this moment to be to, to understand people understand a person um, and then he he suddenly kind of he just suddenly um asked her he says do you think you can you know forget the father of your child and then of course Sunja's like you know she's like I hope so she's like starts getting moved into tears and you know, she's like I hope so and then he says you know um you know 
if so, you know, do you think you could then accept, you know, accept another man? I was like, oh, Isaac, where are we going with this? Mind you, he just met her like a a day ago. (laughs) And when she's like, you know, looking at him confused, like, what do you mean? He immediately is like offering, you know, offers up himself. He's like, you know, if you want somebody to be a father of your child, I will be that man. I was like, Isaac, like what? And so (laughs) she, you know, she's like a little taken aback, but she, you know, she actually nods her head, you know, her acceptance while she's in tears, but she does accept his offer. And that is the end of episode three. We made it, guys. You made it through this really long episode and recap of the first three episodes of Pan Chico. Um, but yes, that is the first three episodes. I swear I did a pretty darn good job. I mean, there were some subtleties and, you know, things I missed, but every big thing I got um, in these three episodes. Um, But I, yeah, I think episode three obviously was one of my favorites because I really like Isaac. And I don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly because I'm used to um, an Isaac character from another country. So it's like, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it in that way or in this kind of Korean way, but either way, I absolutely, I, I'm already in love with him. Hansu can come and go. He can kick rocks. I mean, he, I mean, he's obviously the father of her child, but he did her dirty. He did her dirty. He was going to make her his whole wife in a whole nother country. I mean, but at the same time, like this kind of, I think it made me think about when um, Sunja's sister-in-law inquired, like, would you, do you ever think about, had you made a different choice? Like what would happen? And it's like that, was her moment, I guess, where she would have had made that different choice. Would she have done, you know, gone with Hansu's, you know, proposition of being his, you know, other wife with his other family in Korea or, you know, or instead of this one that she chose, which was, you know, being with um, Izak. Because the thing about Izak too, is that he is en route to Japan. So he is, he was from like, you know, he's making his way to Japan. Uh, where his rest of his family is, and his like he's taking his sister, and so his her sister in law Kwanki is Izak's sister. Um, so yeah, like he's basically en route to Japan. Um, and when he makes this offer to Sunja at the end of episode three, he's also kind of letting her know, like, if you accept another male who would also offer to take you away from your family, like, would you be willing to do that? Like, that's part of his kind of offer. And she accepts that at the end of episode three. So that is that decision, I think, that Sunja made in her youth that kind of led her to where she obviously is now in the present that we see her um, and things like that. So uh, overall, first three episodes were really, really good. I was really invested and really, um, like, it the, the only problem, like the Solomon and Hana situation, it's so confusing to me. Like, I want to know what that's going to be about, and what that means. Um, but I do like where they're, what they do with the Sunja kind of storyline, uh, you know, against her grandchild storyline. Like, I see where they're going with that. I see where they try to make the similarities between those two, how they are obviously a lot, very similar, um, Solomon and Sunja. And I think they are doing a, a good job of showing like that um, comparison between the two with how they kind of cut between different scenes. And so I like that. Um, and I, I like the characters as a whole. I love Sunja. I love her, but I... Um, like I said, she surprises me. Like even her kind of accepting um, Isaac's offer 
at the end there. I was surprised by that in a way. I thought she was going to be a little bit more hesitant and kind of like turn him down initially and then maybe take him up later. But the fact that she immediately, you know, accepts that offer, that was also kind of surprising um, because again, Sunja she told Hansu before, like, she doesn't want to leave her birthplace. Like, why would she do that? You know, she this is the place of where her father and her mother is. Um, and so she had never, you know, really had considered that. But obviously, now that she's a mother, I think she is starting to have that mindset that her father kind of had kind of, you know, prophesied over her in a way like you are going to have to have a child that you're going to have to be worthy of and that may consist of you basically living for this child um and I think she's thinking like that already that she has to do what's best for her child which may be having this man you know take her and her child in because to her mother you know the fact that she's um her she's you know having a child out of wedlock she's like you're never going to get married you know she's like you're ruined and this is her way of feeling like, okay, maybe I won't be ruined if I get this, this, you know, take the, this man up on this offer. Um, but again, I think Isaac has good intentions. It appears that he has good intentions. I, I, like I said, I love how he is. He's like, I said, unfortunately he's sick. So I feel like that's the unfortunate thing that she's kind of like also adding that on to her life. Cause I feel like that's a lot. Um, but at the same time, I do like him. I think he's very well-intentioned. I think he has looking out for her. Um, and I already think they're adorable together, despite the fact that they're not together, you know? Um, but I like their little interactions and I like how like he, he thanked her. He was grateful to her because I do feel like he recognizes like she brings something out of him that he needs to bring out. So I, I, I love when that happens. And I, can't, and I love that in a couple when it's like they're kind of on two polar opposite ends of things. And it's like... But something about each of them kind of brings the best thing about out of them. So love it. Hansu, I'm assume is kicked to the curb. I think we won't see from him. I don't want, I don't think we'll see him again past this point. I don't know. We'll see because it sounds like Sunja and Izak are on their way out. Um, but also they're going to be in Japan. So I don't know if they're going to run into him there. I don't know. But either way, Hansu can go. Hansu can go. Emin Ho's character can go. Um, I'm mad at him. I was so mad at him when he was just like, what you, What did you think this was? I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? She didn't know. She's this young, inexperienced girl who's just been like, you know, falling for this man. She didn't know. Oh, so unfortunate. And now she's with child. But I, I do like Isaac. I kind of, I trust him. I feel like this might be a good thing for her. But of course, this is that journey that leads her to Japan, um, which is right now, you know, according to Solomon, kind of like, you know, this is kind of, you know, for her, this has been a difficult decision, I think. Um, so I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what where this takes us as far as the, you know, Sunjong getting to where she is now in the present what else had to, had to take place um i'm i'm interested to see but yeah so i that's the first three episodes i am watching this drama i will be finishing this drama my first impression is, is that this is actually very 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 good um it is a lot simpler than i thought it was gonna be like that's why i think originally i thought i was like oh i'm gonna have to spend each up you know spend time on just one episode and talk it through and actually it's really it's not as intense as I thought it was going to be I thought I think it actually is telling this kind of historical um generational 
story without much fuss. I think it's being very honest. I think it's showcasing everything. It's not kind of sugarcoating anything, but at the same time, it is just kind of it's just so simple. It's relatable. It's just understandable. It's like, this is how this happened. This is how this person led to this um, step. And I think the most complexity to this drama, or sorry, this series is the kind of, you know, time, the way that they are kind of playing with time and kind of going back and forth into the present interchangeably. That is the most complex thing about this drama. I'm sorry, this series. I'm so sorry. But it is, um, it does have some complexity in that, in the storytelling, the way that it's being told. And I'm assuming it was the same way in the book. Um, and so that keeps you interested. That does help. Um, but as a just actual story it's not you know it's it's, there's not a lot going on like it all makes sense it all um they're not going as kind of deep into the kind of historical um complexities that were happening in that time they're keeping it very um the family centered so all of the experience that the family had with what was going on um in this historical period for korea that in japan that is what we are experiencing that kind of history. And I love that. I love that we're like putting a face to this time period, as opposed to just being like a documentary where all of it is just kind of like stating things that happen, you know, instead we're getting to see a family kind of live through that and how that family still lives to this day in a way. So I really, really love that. Um, so yeah, I, I think Panchico is exactly how good as it, everyone thought it was going to be. Again, it's not that complex. It's not that intense. Like it's definitely one that you can get through. Um, and I'm, I'm glad it's here. I'm glad it's here. Definitely not a K drama. I'm going to be honest, not a K drama. I don't know what the, how that, how else to say that, but it is a TV series. Um, it's not a K drama, <laughs> but it's, it's good. And the acting is great. I'm very excited to see people, you know, actors that I haven't really seen very often. So that's nice as well. But it's also just as nice to see Emin Ho, um, be, um, as beautiful as he always is. Um, but then also everyone else is just as beautiful too. Um, like, uh, like I said, Isaac, handsome, handsome man, handsome. That's also why I think I really like him. But then we also have just our wonderful um, um, Jung, um, who is the the most established and amazing actress, maybe, you know, one of the best in Korea. Um, and so it's always just lovely to see her. But it's also nice to see new faces, like the new actress, um, Kim Minha, I believe that's her name. She's also lovely. Um, and it's, a, you know, the cast has Japanese and Korean and obviously American actors across the board. So it's just, you know, it's a lot going on in this story in that regard with time. Um, but as far as like the actual story, it's a simple story. It gets to the root of itself very, very quickly only three episodes in and you kind of got it you got it um but i'm interested to see how this plays out for the next couple episodes um i'm very interested to see but yeah that's it guys 
guys, I hope this wasn't too bad. I know it was kind of long. Um, I know it was kind of long, but that was to be expected. I'm doing three episodes of Panchico, so I wanted to be fair to it. Um, and it's a recap of all each of those episodes. So I hope this was good for you. Um, and if it if you like this, I'll try to keep them up. If not, let me know, and I won't <laughs> do another one. But but either way, let me know if you like this. Um, but that's all for this episode. I want to thank you all so much for listening and whether you're listening in the morning or in the afternoon or the evening I hope you have a great day so everyone it's been real Lola's off